part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your uh, Bibles to Malachi. And again, even though we show the scripture up here, I really do encourage you to bring your own Bible. Uh, If you don't have one, if you look around, hopefully there is one uh, in one of the pews in front of you or one of the seats in front of you where you can find that. And we're going to be in the book of Malachi. Anybody know anything about Malachi? What what are some of the significant things about the book of Malachi? Just off the top of your head. It's the last book of the Old Testament. Okay. What else do you know about the book of Malachi? It starts with the letter M. Ricky, I really appreciate it. Yes, sir. The last prophet. It's the last word that we hear, not only in the Old Testament, but then it's followed by 400 years of silence. And so it's one of these, it, you know, we, when we read it, we begin to really discover what's in there. Uh, this is a significant book. But I would say that about any of the books of the Bible, they're always in there for a significance. But this one really does play kind of a major part in there in that we see that it's the last word that God gives through a prophet for 400 years and in that 400 years of silence, we begin to see all this difficulty and all this challenge that is there. Anybody ever heard the term tough love? Ever heard that? Uh, if, if you're as old as I am, you probably heard that growing up. It actually originated, for the most part, in a book uh, written by a guy by the name of Milliken in 1968. Kind of came out with that with a, a book titled that. But many of us in the church kind of realm, we became familiar with that through James Dobson. Do you remember James Dobson? And a lot of us raised our kids by, okay, what do we do with this unruly kid? I mean, what do we do with this precious child you've given us? And, uh, and you know, he was one of these big proponents of tough love. And basically, tough love is this kind of mindset that sometimes you have to do the hard thing, but the hard thing, like disciplining your children and you know, holding them accountable for things, not making excuses for their behavior, this, that, and the other, but kind of expecting them to do what is right, that in that discipline, that it's the hard thing, but it's actually the good thing. I'm a firm believer in tough love. And when we begin to really understand that, that something that is a hard thing can be a good thing, we begin to grasp really the essence of this book. Because it's going to be a hard thing. There's going to be some things that God says to the people of Israel he asked them, he kind of makes seven directions toward them, and uh, they ask questions and response. And you, you'll see one of those this morning. And God is really kind of trying to wake them up because they're in a spiritual kind of just, um, almost like just taking a spiritual nap. They're just going through the motions. And life can be that way. One of the most difficult things about humanity is that it is quite repetitious. Would you agree that wherever you are in life right now, that when we read in the Bible it says about the futility of life, that part of the futility of life is that it's quite repetitive. Now, it would be different if it was quite repetitive in the sense that you went to Hawaii this week and next week you got to go to you know, some other great place, uh, over, uh, go to Rome, and then next week you get into the Paris, and then you had to repeat that every third week. That would be a good repetition, you know, self, it was paid for, it was, you know, we wouldn't mind that kind of repetition. But a lot of the repetition that we have in life is kind of with, you know, futile things. 
Monday morning getting up and going to work and doing those kind of things. And even if we enjoy our job, it's that repetition of life that sometimes is kind of, kind of repetitive and kind of dull. Our spiritual activity can fall into that. I don't want to just say religious activity because I don't know that I really want to that for us to be involved in religious activity. I think that means something to us, but God has never called us into religious activity. He has called us into spiritual activity. But would you agree, would you be as bold and as honest to say that even spiritual activity can be quite repetitious? And it's one of those things, this is just part of the fall of, of mankind, that we're easily bored. We always, as we said some, last week, we always want something new. We like new because it's fresh and it's different. And yet much of life, whether it's marriage, whether it's parenting, whether it's work and provision for ourselves, for the ones that we love, is quite repetitive. And so what we do is we find here in the nation of Israel that God has blessed them tremendously, and yet they are just into a spiritual kind of cycle where they are just kind of going through the motions. They show up for church. But they, and they sing some songs and they do religious activity, but they're just going through the motions because there's not, their heart is not in it. And we all have that aspect of our own lives. There's a part of all of us that, I mean, I've been married 35 years, been with Carly for 37 years. It's one of those things. There's days that you're going to, okay, this is what I do because I love Carly. Yes, but because I'm a husband and you kind of just do what you're supposed to do. Do you understand that? Do you love your children? But are there days that you just do it because it's the right parent thing to do? Yeah. You know, it doesn't mean that you love your children any less, but it's like, okay, got to wipe their nose again, you know, or whatever it might be. You do it because it's, you know, it's a responsibility. And you can't say, man, I am just so passionately in love with you. Let me come wipe your little nose. No, you're going, Johnny, will you wipe your nose? You know, come on. This is human life. And it can be a part of our spiritual life. And it was the spiritual life of the people of Israel. When we begin to look at the background of this, we begin to see that God calls them out and he does a hard thing, but it's a good thing. He says some hard things about them, but it's a good thing that he does that. Malachi really can be wrapped up and that God loves these people so much that he is faithful even in spite of their unfaithfulness. And he's going to love them even if it's with a tough love. As we open up that book, we begin to see that it was, uh, again, it's Old Testament, so we know that it's pretty old. It was actually probably written around 482 B.C. So that's, um, I'm sorry, 432 B.C. So uh, 400 years or so before Christ comes on the scene because we have these 400 years of silence in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, have you ever heard of a guy by the name of Nehemiah? He would have been one of the contemporaries. If you look at a lot of the uh, minor prophets, what we call the minor prophets there at the last part of the Old Testament, those would have all been contemporaries because this is a time in the nation of Israel where through God's judgment on them because of their rebellion and their sinful ways, he allowed them to be taken from, uh, under captivity by the Assyrians, the most recently by the Babylonians. And so they were not in their own people. It, 
similar to us being taken out of America, going to a foreign country, and we lived under a regime, and we lived there for, you know, century after century, sometimes, you know, for hundreds of years like they were under Egypt. This last time, they were under 70 years of Babylonian captivity, and they just longed. You can imagine, if you were raised in America, this is your country, and you're in a foreign regime now, you're going, I just long to get back to my country to have my freedom. That's where they are. Because when they were under captivity, they drew close to God. I mean, can you imagine if you were taken from this country, and you were under that foreign regime, and you were under kind of a, you know, the... Uh, the servitude of them, how every day, can you imagine what that would do to your spiritual life? I mean, every day I'm praying, God, bring me freedom, release me from this. God, work a miracle, take me back to my country. And the people had a religious fever when they were under captivity. And now that they're back in their own land, they've done a couple things. Under the uh, they, they take several, several years, and they build the temple. They don't do a great job. It's not like Solomon's temple where it was just grand and glorious, but they build a temple so they can have a place of worship. Remember the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah kind of gets them to build the walls. Walls were very important to cities in those days because it was a form of protection. So your status as a city, as a country, was the size of your walls, and if you had walls of protection. So all those things have happened, and there's moments during those years, like if you remember, if you've read through Nehemiah, where they weren't familiar with the Word of God, and he reintroduces them to the how special the Word of God is. And what do they do? Anybody remember? They stand. And one time, he's reading the Word of God like for 12 hours, and they're standing the whole time. I'm not going to make you stand this morning. It wouldn't even be for 12 hours. But can you imagine? So they had times that they were really devoted. It wasn't because of religious activity. They were going to use, this is the precious word of God. And they would stand because they knew that it was the precious word of God. And, and yet, their lives were like our lives. Spiritual roller coasters. Fever for God. And then, really, God, you want me to do that? Like as, as if God was getting in their way. We capture them in a time now when they really are not having this fever for God. They become quite complacent in, in all the different things. And what we see is that this is about a thousand years after God has blessed Abraham with a calling. It wasn't because Abraham was this great guy. It was God's choosing, and he chooses Abraham, and he blesses Abraham when he is faithful. And, uh, but he also said, I'm going to correct you when you're wrong. And so that's what we see happening with the nation of Israel. They've done all these different things. Now we find them a time when they are kind of, you know, uh, along with Haggai, Zechariah, Ezra, Nehemiah, all of them are trying to get them back focused on God, and they're kind of in and out, hot and cold, kind of depending on what, what way the wind is blowing. And they have some times of great revival, and then they have times when there's just great rebellion. This is a time of great rebellion. In the midst of this back and forth, Malachi is assigned the, the, the privilege and the responsibility to be the messenger of God. Malachi actually means messenger. When you see the word, the name Malachi, it actually means messenger. And so his job is to give the message to the people. 
But you're going to see a phrase that comes up 20, 30, maybe 40 times. I'll get the correct number next week. Uh, the word of the Lord, the oracle of the word, uh, the Lord, this, the, the Lord of hosts. And it's used over and over and over again because one thing that we see in this book as we go through chapters and verses is that God is speaking. Before, before 400 years of silence, he talks a lot. And his talking is directed toward the people, acknowledging their lack of faith, their lack of obedience, sin that they've allowed into their life. And so that's why it's a hard book. But can something hard be good? Imagine most of us would go back to our school years and we could figure out that most of the hard teachers were the good teachers. They demanded a lot, but we learned a lot. And I imagine that most of us could go back if we've had the privilege of parents that truly did exercise a tough, tough love for us, that we weren't always pleased with the decisions, but the benefits of that eventually was something really good because maybe it brought about a maturity and a discipline in our life that we would not have had if we always took the path of least resistance. God loves you so much that even when we want to take the path of least resistance, when we just want to please everybody as far as the end of our nose, that God says, that's not why I created you. I created you to to bring glory to me. I I created you so that, that you could love one another. And he's not going to be satisfied with our lives. He's going to correct us when we're wrong, even if it's a hard thing. Because it's a good thing. So you have kind of that mindset. That tough love, even though it's a hard thing, is a good thing. If you capture that, the way I'm, uh, the reason I'm belaboring that point is because if you can kind of get that, you get the whole setting of Malachi. And it'll be one of those things that will give us much more understanding. Now look at verse 1. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. See that word oracle? The Hebrew word there means burden, something that is weighty. Now, the reason why that's really important because, you know, sometimes, have you ever noticed somebody that it seemed like they had great joy to tell you something difficult and hard? I mean, it's kind of like maybe a coworker or something like that, and they had a hard thing to say to you. You know, you don't work here anymore. And it's almost like they had joy in saying that. This is not the tone by which God is addressing the people of Israel. This is not the tone by which the messenger, Malachi, is addressing the people of Israel. This is a burden to him. This word, this hard word, even though it's a good word, is heavy to him for two reasons. Because number one, he knows it's going to address areas of their life that they do not want addressed. And it's also because sometimes the things of God you know, are just hard. I, I don't know a single person that likes correction. Just, man, correct me. Please correct me. No, because of pride, because of our own selfishness, because of our own limited knowledge, we don't like when others correct us. Every week when you, I get up to, to preach, I was talking to some of the elders this morning, and I said, you know, about this word oracle, how it's a burden. I said, you know, that's really how it is preaching every week. And, and I talked to the, the two guys, uh, you know, two of our uh, new elders, and when they preached, they had all their information down, they had everything ready, but, but Brian, you're in here. 
Did you feel a burden? Did you feel a heaviness? As you, you're all prepared. I mean, you're a teacher. You're used to getting in front of people and explaining things and teaching things. Did you feel a heaviness, a burden? Yeah. To the point where I've seen some men in the past where they got up there, they're all prepared, they've got everything ready, and the first word can't come out of their mouth. Why? Because that heaviness. Understand that even though this is a hard word, it's a good word, and it is given in the mindset, both from God and from Malachi, that this is a burden, this is heavy. In other words, there's no joy that he's just pointing out sin. It breaks their heart and he's brokenhearted because he knows that some will receive it and some won't receive it. See, that's the hardest part about preaching, too. It's the hardest part about parenting. It's the hardest part about marriage. It's the hardest part about a lot of human activity is that just, have you figured out already that you can't make somebody love Jesus? And that can be very frustrating or it can be a heaviness. It can be a burden. That's where we're coming from. That's why this oracle of the, the word, this oracle means there a burden. It's, it's heavy. And we're going to see that throughout. That's where the tough love comes in. Tough love is not fun for the most part. It's hard, but it is good. Look again, verse 1. The burden, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. It's a burden because it's going to confront them in their sins And it's a burden because it will be rejected and it will be questioned. And that's hard. Especially when you know, when Malachi knows this is from God and it's given in a loving way, but that it's going to be rejected. One of the the tough things that makes tough love so tough is, is that it's not always going to be received well. As we begin this book, there's going to be seven things that God directs to the offenses of the people of Israel. The first one we're going to see in in verse 2. And from the very beginning, they question God. Go to verse 2. Let's see what it says. God makes this proclamation, okay? (laughs) They've been a rebellious people. They're not really following well. They have very, very cold hearts in their worship and all their religious activity. They're very cold. And yet, what's the first thing that God says? What does it say in verse 2? I've I've loved you. Not only are you my chosen people, I chose you. In my century, I've chosen you. Not only do I love you, I've chosen you, but I love you. Look at the last part of that verse. They they hear this proclamation, this burden, this word that's coming from God. It just happens to be coming through Malachi that God loves them. And and what do they say? How have you loved us? We were kidding the other day in discipleship. If God told somebody, I love you, and you looked heavenward and you said, how have you loved me? Would you draw close to that person or would you scoot away? Yeah. I mean, I don't want that lightning bolt hitting anywhere close to me. I mean, can you see the offense in that? That we would actually turn heavenward? And I don't know that any of us have ever, maybe we have, but I don't know that any of us have ever turned heavenward, pointed to the sky and said, how have you loved us? 
But I think we all have that aspect of our lives when things don't go our way. We've prayed about something and the answer hasn't been there. And, and, and not only do we wonder if God loves us, but we almost have this accusatory spirit of how have you loved us? When God has made the proclamation, I have loved you, that's what's happening with the nation of Israel. First thing God says before he starts bringing up all these different things, he says, I have loved you. I've been faithful when you have not been faithful. And the heart of the people is revealed as they say, God, how have you loved us? And they question the love of God. Let me put this in perspective. This is a thousand years after God has chosen Abraham by grace, not by works, The Jewish people have repeatedly over these thousand years have they rebelled against God and turned away uh, from God during these thousand years. Time and time and time and time and time again. When they would find themselves in trouble, whether that was in captivity in Egypt or in other places in Babylonia, under the Assyrians, wherever it was, they would kind of get this heart back to God. God, please forgive us. And what would God do? He'd forgive them and restore them. It goes on and on and on. They get back. They get full of themselves. Hey, God, I got this. Don't need you. And it goes from that lackadaisical kind of attitude to a rebellious attitude where they actually worship golden calves and different things like that, marry off or go into foreign countries and and worship other gods and idols. And through all this cycle over and over again, We come to this last book of the Old Testament and the first word of the message from God, I love you. It seems like the last thing that would ever be on the lips of the people, how have you loved us? I mean, let's, let's put it into, if it was in marriage and you had been rebellious and you had been unfaithful and you had gone and you had done all these things and yet your husband, your wife, your spouse, they look past all of your sinfulness and they said, I love you. The audacity that you would ever turn to them and say, how have you loved me? And that's on a pure human level. That certainly isn't on the creator of all things and part of his creation. Do you see the offense here? Do you see? Oh my goodness. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll fix that later. (laughs) I mean, do you see see the heaviness of that? The words here, see, here's the thing. It's one thing if I go to a three-year-old and the natural rebellion of a three-year-old, the immaturity of a three-year-old, the sinfulness of a three-year-old, you can tell them sometimes, you know, to do something that they don't want to do, and they may respond from a three-year-old perspective. You don't love me, okay? And, and that's, you know, you know that you love them, but can you account that to immaturity and ignorance? They're three years old. Now you have a 17-year-old or a 27-year-old or a 37-year-old. And, and you tell them something that is hard. You tell them something that is corrective. And, and that 37-year-old turns to you, you don't love me. Can you really, yes, it's still immature, but is it ignorance? 
really isn't if there's been times of restoration and restoration. You know, in times when you've made things right, even though they've been uh, in the offense. See, there's a difference. This isn't a point of ignorance for the nation of Israel. This isn't the first rodeo where they've gone off and God says, look, come on back. I love you. Over and over and again, the history of the nation of Israel, that they've been a faithful people, they've been a rebellious people, and they've gone through that cycle. And every time, every single time, when they were repentive, when they turned their hearts back toward God, God said, you are my people, and I love you. And here, when they're going through, I mean, some of the things that we're going to see, they were, you know, they were still under the sacrificial system, they're Jewish people, and so you were to bring the perfect lamb, you were to bring the best that you had. And they were bringing defiled animals for sacrifice. And that's one of the offenses. They were going, you know, yeah, he's got five eyeballs, but that's okay. And God brings accusation against them and against the pastors, the priest. Hey, you, you know that they're to bring the best, and yet you allowed this, and you just look the other way. This is a hard book because it addresses the sinfulness of man and the sinfulness of this nation, and yet it starts with this ever-faithful promise, I love you. And yet we see a response. How have you loved us? If you look at the last part of verse 2, we're not going to get into that this morning. It's a really developed topic. It's not one that we're even going to be able to cover completely next week. But we get into it and it says, you know, where he says, I've loved Jacob and I've hated Esau. What in the world does that mean? Where does God ever say that he's hated something? And uh, next week, we're going to talk about one of the most controversial, I don't want to say controversial, one of the, the most mysterious things, the election of God, you know, how God chooses. And, and I'll tell you right up front where I, where I stand on that. Who are we to tell God anything that God should or should not do? Okay? And we're going to see throughout the Bible that he is a God who chooses. And we might say, well, that's just not fair, and I don't know that I like that. We need to worship and understand the God who is and not the God that that we think should be, guys. He is the God who is. And so next week, we're going to get into a hard thing. But we're leaving that because I don't think you want to stay here to at least 4 or 5 or 6 o'clock this evening because it takes that long to really kind of understand it. I want to leave us with this this morning as we open up this book. The hard thing can be a good thing. It's not always a good thing in that moment. We don't always have hearts that are open to receive that. But oftentimes in life, the hard thing can be the good thing. And so this is a loving God. Even when he's correcting the people of Israel, he is loving. He's actually showing his love greatest because he doesn't want them to remain in their sin. And so he actually corrects them. As he corrects them, they have this response, not just once, but they're going to have this response over and again. When he says, you've robbed me, they're going to say, how have we robbed you? You've been offensive to me. How have we offended you? And they have this attitude of not taking responsibility of where they are, and they really don't understand this gracious heart of God. They have disrespected God. They've kind of rebelled against God. May it not be so with us. Brian, I asked you the other day in discipleship to ponder that question. 
Has there ever been a time in your life, how have you loved me? And I imagine now you've had a couple of days to think upon that. Have you pondered that a little bit? Do you think that is a part of every one of our own walks? That there's been times in our frail humanity and our rebellious humanity that because we didn't get our way, that maybe in some form or fashion we turn, turn to holy God, loving, gracious God. How have you loved me? We do not want to be these people. That's what, that's why there's profit to, to study this. Not just as a history lesson. Okay, this is the last book before the old, you know, the New Testament, 400 years of silence, uh, of silence, and so we just want to get these facts down. No, we want to hear the message of the Lord. And the message of the Lord is first and foremost, I have loved you. You rebellious people have turned against me. I have loved you with a redeeming love. And when we get to chapter 3, it will be several weeks before we get there, the promise of a Savior. In the midst of all this correction, the promise of a Savior. So we close this morning, two questions. If you're here this morning, you, you don't know where you stand with God. Maybe you don't consider yourself a religious person. Maybe you don't even consider yourself a Christian. And yet you hear this and say, okay, now how, what's the application to me? Hey, here's the, I would believe the application to you this morning. As somebody who's here, obviously God has brought you here or somebody brought you here, and yet you're still wondering. I want you to know this this morning, that God proclaims his love to you in Jesus Christ. And that you may have come in here not kind of really knowing where you stand with God, whether you believe in God, whether you believe all these things, but you don't have to leave that way. Because this proclamation, this truth that God sends out, he says, look, I want you to know, first and foremost, I love you. I love you so much that in your rebellion, I will send one that will redeem you, that will pay the price of all your sin. And that is God's offer to you this morning. For the believer this morning, you would say, I've placed my trust and faith in the work of Christ, Christ alone, not my religious activity, not my church attendance, not all these other things. I place all my faith only in the work that Christ did to satisfy a holy God, but he did it on my behalf. But what application does this have to us? Knowing that we are a bored people, that we ride spiritual roller coasters and there's one week revival and the next week everything but God sounds more appealing knowing that we can be these kind of people up and down in our spiritual life, that you would know this morning that God proclaims his love for you and that it is a finished work in Jesus Christ. At the same time, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, do not be surprised, do not be surprised that you have a loving father that will correct you when you are wrong and do a hard thing because he knows in the end it's a good thing. That's a good father. That's a loving father. And we serve an all-wise God who always makes every judgment in all wisdom. And here we are in our little infinite, our finite wisdom. God's wisdom infinite in every way. Our wisdom right here. 
Let's not take this and say, okay, God, how do you love me? Because that week something didn't go right and a prayer didn't get answered. Something that we've been wanting and desiring didn't happen. And we turn heavenwards as God has proclaimed his love for us. And we say, okay, God, how have you loved me? Look only to the cross. Look only to the cross. I mean, you might be facing cancer. You might be facing uh, trouble in your marriage. You may be facing all kinds of financial difficulties. There's a lot of hardship in life. But folks, please don't. If you've placed your faith in God, don't turn to him like these Israelites and say, how have you loved us? All we have to do, we have the benefit. They're living before Christ. Only the promise of Christ that comes in, in Malachi 3. We live in the history that this prophecy has come true. And we know that God was faithful to the unfaithful. So those feelings aren't going to come. Why? Because we're human. When those questions come and those feelings come, turn to the cross. And God will assure you of his love and the completion. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for the hope that is in Christ Jesus. Father, it is easy to to look at these Israelites and and to be, uh, Father, really kind of judgmental and say, how in the world could they ever turn to holy God, you, and make accusation about how you've loved them? And yet, Father, I don't know that we would have to look as far as even last week that there was a moment, a thought, a mindset of our own heart that because we didn't get our way or maybe your word corrected us in our pride or our sin, that, that Father, that we wondered about your love for us. Father, today for those that are wondering about their belief, wondering if you're truly a God that loves them, if they can be forgiven of everything that they've ever done, Father, will you, will you just assure them of your love for them and that every sin, Father, can be washed away because of your precious blood of Christ. Father, for us who are believers and we struggle to follow you and follow you well and hard, Father, thank you that you are a God who loves us truthfully even when it's the hard thing because it's the good thing that you would not leave us in our sin but that you would call us into righteousness. Father, we love you and we thank you and we proclaim that now. Father, all because of Jesus, all because of Jesus, nothing of our own merit, all because of Jesus, we thank you for the gift as we pray in his precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.